0: Uh, this morning, we will be in Psalm 132. You know, this summer, we have, uh, are almost ending our series in the Pilgrim's Path, which is going through uh, the Songs of Ascent, which is uh, Psalms 120 through 134, and we've mentioned this time and time again, but I'm going to say these few lines again, that these are songs that were sung on the way to Jerusalem for the people as they're headed towards uh, the Holy Land a couple times a year, they would be uh, going there to worship God for the different uh, festivals. Today, in Psalm 32, and we actually see this for the remainder of our time in this book, Psalms uh, 132, 33, and 34, that they are uh, home in Jerusalem. The pilgrimage has come to an end. So all three of these uh, psalms at the end uh, are psalms that are celebrating them coming into the presence of God. Uh, Today, in Psalm 132, there is not an author that is given in the text, uh, but the people... Um, we could say after David's time at some point are looking back to oaths that David made. So it's the people after uh, David looking back to some things that he owed to the Lord. Uh, this is a psalm of Zion, which means it is a celebration or it could be even called a royal psalm. It's a celebration of God's kingship and his glory over his people, his presence there with his people. So let's go ahead and turn to Psalm uh, 132. We're going to uh, look at the whole chapter. This is a, one of the longer psalms we have in this section. It's 18 verses, but we're going to do our best to look through uh, the majority of it this morning. This is Psalm 132. I'm reading from the ESV. The text will be on your screen, and it's in your bulletin as well. A song of a sense. Remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord, and vow to the mighty one of Jacob I will not enter my house or get into my bed I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob Behold we heard of it in Ephrathah we found it in the fields of Jaar. Let us go to his dwelling place let us worship at his footstool Arise, O Lord, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness, and let your saints shout for joy. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies, that I shall teach them. Their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout, for David I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will clothe with shame, but on him his crown will shine. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, we come before you today, uh, opening your word, uh, pleading that you would uh, use this time uh, to grow us closer to you, or that we would see um, how close you actually are. Even in our times where we feel like you are far away, this psalm is a reminder that you are uh, forever with your people. And, Father, for that, we are grateful and thankful. Uh, We also recognize that we are undeserving of your presence that is so near to us that it is only because of your Son, Jesus, that we can come into your presence because we are clothed in his righteousness. And, Father, we pray this morning as we open this word that you would be here with us today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So I recently read uh, an article in uh, Psychology Today, and it talks about human connection and how we're designed uh, for human connection with one another. And in this article, it says this, In a time of hyperconnection and communication, recent surveys find that approximately half, 50% of U.S. adults are experiencing loneliness and lacking connection. This can increase risks of premature illness and death at levels comparable to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. For this reason, the U.S. Surgeon General recently issued a public advisory calling the American people to this, what he quotes, urgent public health issue, the lack of connection with one another. And the Surgeon General lists that the person is to design their built environment to provide. Promote social connection with one another. So we are recognizing in and outside the church, especially in the last five years. We're not going to dive into this. We talked about this a lot in the last five years. But in the last five years that we were really designed to connect with other people, right? That God has hardwired us to connect with other people. And while psychology today will say this, you really need other people in your life. That is true and right and good. The Bible expands that. It says, yes, you need other people, but you also need a connection with God himself. You need God's presence, not only the presence of people. That is the way that you were designed to live, that we were designed to dwell with God and other people, that we need the presence of the Lord. If secular psychologists can find that we were made for connection, how much more should we trust the Scriptures, the Bible, to tell us that we were made for connection with God himself. And the good news from our text and from many texts throughout the Scripture is that God promises to dwell with his people forever. He promises never to leave us or abandon us. While people will leave you, they will abandon you in this life. We have a God, this is what we're seeing today in our text, who never will leave us, that is always there. He is the God who is the covenant keeper In his covenant, we will see this today. We're going to look at uh, 2 Samuel 7. In his covenant with David, he promised his presence. We have a God who keeps his promises despite our failure to keep ours to him. God remains faithful. So what we're looking at today, uh, the big idea is God is faithful to his promise of presence with his people. and God is faithful to his promise of presence with his people. We're going to look at two things. Uh, First, the prayer for his presence in verses 1 through 10, and then a promise of his presence in verses 11 through 18. Okay, um, you know, a lot of the Psalms, you can trace them back and find a place in history, uh, maybe where even David had written them. Uh, He was going through this and uh, the narrative in in history, and you can see kind of like his emotions in Psalms. Other times, uh, the, the Psalms is linking back to a specific time in history, we need to understand the historical portion of the Bible before we really can understand the psalm well. So this psalm, Psalm 132, if you have a Bible that footnotes um, different parts going back to different scriptures, you'll actually see that this psalm is referring back to Second Samuel 7 and the covenant of David. Uh, very closely. So I'm going to read a few of these texts. I think it's good for us to get a context of where we are uh, in Second Samuel 7 because this is really a response out of that text, okay? So Second Samuel 7, verses 5 through 6, I have the text up on the screen for you here, says this, go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, would you build me a house to dwell in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I had been moving about in a tent for my dwelling. So we see from the path out of Egypt, out of slavery to the promised land, you see the narrative in the Old Testament is a narrative of wandering, right? The people did not have a home for many, many, many years. So the Lord goes with them, right? He has a dwelling place with them, but this dwelling place is not permanent. It moves from place to place as the people move from place to place. So here in 2 Samuel 7, the Lord tells David to find him a dwelling place that is permanent. David finds a permanent dwelling place for the Ark of the Covenant, for the presence of God with his people. And in 2 Samuel 7, after he requests this of David, he goes on to make a promise to David. In 2 Samuel 7, verses 12 through 13 he says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So here in Second Samuel 7, the, the primary promise in the covenant with David is an everlasting kingdom that's going to come through the line of David. A kingdom that never ends. So today in Psalm 132, God's people recount or remember David's response to this covenant. Okay, that's where we are in the scripture. So first point is prayer for his presence. This is verses 1 through 10. We'll look at the first five verses first. Uh, Verse 1 says, remember, O Lord, in David's favor all the hardships he endured, how he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, I will not enter my house or get into my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber to my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. See, the psalmist opens this psalm with a plea to the Lord. Often it's used in laments. Remember, God, remember what you promised. But this is not a, rem- this is not a lament. This is them reminding God what he promised, like he needs a reminder. But the people, we want to say, remember, God, remember what you promised. Remember what the what David did in when you requested this of him. David promised that he would not sleep until he found a dwelling place for the Lord, and this is this is a metaphor, right? Obviously David still did sleep some, but it's a metaphor to show us the urgency. God says, Do this, I need a permanent dwelling place. And David says, I won't even sleep. That's how passionate I am for this. This was David's reply to the Lord's request. In 2 Samuel 7, the Lord asked him, and David went and found the ark and brought it back to Jerusalem. So the people here are saying, remember the covenant you made with our king David. Remember you promised your presence with your people. In verse 5, you can see the first half he calls, it's kind of a repetition. It's it's two uh, different phrases meaning the same thing. The first half he says, calls the lord or god yahweh by his personal name secondly he calls him the mighty one of jacob when you look at that phrase in particular in the old testament that was to bring forth a god who protected his people a god who guided his people a god who blessed his people so by using these two phrases. The people are asking the Lord for a continuation of that. Your faithfulness to protect us, to guide us, to bless us. In verses 6 through 7, the people recount remember, the ark had been captured. And in verse 6 through 7, the people recount the recapturing of the ark in the fields of Ja'ar. The Philistines had stolen. The ark, they had captured it. And one theologian says, with the capture of the ark by the Philistines, it went from city to city, city to city, until David brought it to Jerusalem. And the placement of the ark in Jerusalem ushered in a new era of God's rule over Israel, which started the Davidic era. So we see the transportation of the ark to Jerusalem ended the period of the desert wandering, this time in Biblical history is over. David takes the ark to the city of Zion where God would dwell with his people. And in the first 10 verses, people remind God of this, what happened, right? Remember the promise you made to us, please. But they go even a step further. In verse 9, they ask for God's presence to be with the priests. They say, let your priests be clothed with righteousness. Let your saints shout for joy. They asked the Lord to allow the priest to bring righteousness. Righteousness could also be translated salvation. Bring salvation to your people. May we, your people, shout for joy when you bring your salvation. So we see verse 1 and verse 10 are kind of the bookends of this section. And verse 10 says, for the sake of your servant David, very similar to verse 1, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. So the psalmist is petitioning God's covenant faithfulness to remember his covenant. This is a psalm of Zion celebrating God's covenant with the house of David. He's saying, please don't turn your face from us, your people. We call upon your covenant faithfulness. Well, you know, this is a psalm of really like a prayer and a response. Kind of kind of what we see, right? God's people are praying in the first 10 verses, and in 11 through 18, we get to see a, a response. So I read some about prayer, just the idea of prayer in God's presence, some this week, and I came across this quote. It's, it's pretty lengthy, but I wanted to read it to you from Henry and He talks about this uh, on the idea of ceaseless praying. He says this, To pray, I think, does not mean to think about God in contrast to thinking about other things or to spend time with God instead of spending time with other people. Rather, it means to think and live in the presence of God. As soon as we begin to divide our thoughts into thoughts about God and thoughts about people and events, we remove God from our daily life and put him in this pious little niche over here where we can think about pious thoughts and experience Pious feelings. Although it is important, this is what you need to hear, although it is important and indispensable for the spiritual life to set apart time for God and God alone, prayer can only become unceasing prayer when all of our thoughts, beautiful or ugly, high or low, proud or shameful, sorrowful or joyful, can be thought in the presence of God. Thus, Converting our unceasing thinking into unceasing prayer moves us from a self-centered monologue to a God-centered monologue. This requires that we turn all our thoughts into the conversation. The main question, therefore, is not so much what we think, but to whom we present our thoughts. Psalm 32, 132, the people are praying that the Lord would remain with them, that he would that they would be in his presence and their hearts are open right what I talked about with the journey their hearts are revealed and what we see in their hearts their main desire is for God to dwell with him so for us today taking this to our context now I think this is a good place for us to start when we see the people's passion when we see David's passion saying I will not sleep Is this similar to the passion that we have as God's people to be in God's presence? Do we desire to be in the presence of the Lord as we see here? Do we consistently seek to grow in a relationship with Him? Or, like Henry Nouwen mentioned, are we compartmentalizing our faith? It's kind of like this little thing over here that we kind of put in this box. So this is the kind of thing I do on Sundays, and maybe I even go to a life group on Tuesdays. And that's, I give that to God over here. But what we see today, and what Henry Nowen talked about, is that having this open communication with Lord, the Lord is realizing that God is present all the time, and He wants to be there with you. We see that God's people plead in this Psalm that the Lord does not leave them. Is this how we feel about the Lord's presence? That I would not be able to stand without Your presence. The second thing we see really in this psalm that I think is helpful for us is that this is really a psalm to persistent prayer, right? A call to persistent prayer in your life, in our life. That we see here that we have a God who wants to hear these things. He wants to hear the cries of his people. A few weeks ago, uh, Chuck was doing the Institution of the Lord's Supper, and he said, I love this. God loves short prayers. Sometimes we think that we have to go before the Lord and have this long, drawn-out, really eloquent prayer to come before Him. And while there's good time to have good and long, drawn-out times, it's also good and healthy to be having short interactions with the Lord throughout the day. So today what we see is that God wants to hear from you, no matter how small the issue is in your life. So the second half of the psalm is a response to uh, the prayer from the people in the first 10 verses so let's look at that this is uh, psalm um, 132 verses 11 through 18 let's start with 11 and 12 this is the promise of his presence verse 11 says the lord swore to david a sure oath from which he will not turn back one of the sons of your body i will set on your throne if your son keeps my covenant and my testimonies that I teach them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. So we see in the, the first half of the psalm, and the second half of the psalm, the second half actually echoes unit by unit the first section. So it's a direct response to each section in the first half of the psalm. So first here, in these first two verses, the Lord matches, remember he said. David made an oath to God. I will not sleep until I find a place for your presence here. In the second half, we see the Lord is also oathing something to David, to his people. He promises an eternal kingship in the Davidic line. The very promise that God gave to David in his covenant with him in Second Samuel 7. That's why I needed to read that because we need to understand where he's talking about. So the prayer the people lifted up for finding a place to dwell, that prayer is answered here in addressing the kingship of David. It said, forever, forever I will have a king on the throne. He is saying the throne of David shall forever have a king, and this is promising God's presence with his people forever. The thing is, the Lord doesn't mention in this psalm particularly some of the sons of David who would be unfaithful. You know the narrative of the scripture. Some of the kings are unfaithful. They get put into exile. But the original audience of Psalm 132 would have known Second Samuel 7 in the back of their minds. Remember they were a very, um, uh, they wouldn't have uh, been reading scripture. They would have been hearing it and memorizing it. So they would have known the narratives in the back of their mind hearing the psalm and singing the psalm. And I didn't read this earlier but I'm going to read it now in 2 Samuel 7 verses 14 through 15. He says this, when he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the son of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before you. So in this last section, we see that uh, the Lord responds to the prayer that that the people pray in verses 6 through 10. And in verse 7 through 8, the people pray the Lord's dwelling place would be there so they could go and worship Him. But even when the people came under discipline, what we need to see from 2 Samuel 7, the Lord's love would never depart. That's what we need to see there. For He has chosen a people. And in verses 13-14, through He's responding here. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for a dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. I will dwell with you forever is what he is saying. He's not saying I will dwell with you as long as you obey. I will dwell with you as long as you follow half of the commandments I have given you. He said I will be with you forever. I will dwell with you forever despite your unfaithfulness the unfaithfulness of your king, of your heart. I will be with you forever. Remember in verse 9, kind of the end of the first section, they ask for the priests to bring the righteousness or salvation to the people. And in, in verse 16, the Lord responds, Her priests I will close with salvation. Her saints will shout for joy. So each section by section, we see the Lord responds to every single request assuring the people of His everlasting presence with them. Verse 10, the people ask that the Lord would not abandon them. In 17 and 18, the very last response the Lord gives is this. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. His enemies I will close with shame, but on him his crown will shine. While David's heirs... Would be unfaithful. The kingdom would, not, would be stripped away for a small season. They would be sent into exile. God would still not leave them. That's what we're seeing here. That he keeps his end of the covenant, that several hundred years later, God would fulfill these promises right here, sending a son of David, a horn to, be, to sprout for David. In verse 11, one of your, the sons of your body I will set on the throne. The promises given in this psalm, Psalm 132, and the covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7 are ultimately fulfilled in Jesus Himself, in God's very Son, taking on flesh. Remember, the people would ask the Lord that they would not abandon them. They needed His presence. The people would ask for salvation to come through the priests. And what do we see in God's very Son? Jesus is the true presence of God in the flesh with His people. God promised this, and He fulfilled it in Jesus. Jesus brings salvation that the priestly line only looked forward to. So in Jesus, these prayers are fully answered. And while the people continue to break the covenant over and over and over again, we do that. We are disobedient. God God not only stays faithful to his, His end of the covenant, but He sends someone to fulfill our part of the covenant. Jesus, His very Son... So what I want you to see here, church, this morning in Psalm 132 is God will never leave you. That is shown as proof in His Son. You didn't keep your end of the covenant, but my Son will do it for you. I mentioned this earlier, but in our lives, some of the closest people that are around us will abandon us. They will leave us, and maybe sometimes it's not by their own choosing. There's conflict that arises sometimes, and that happens. Maybe it's relocation. You move to a new place, they move away. Somebody does just abandon you, even death, right? Now there's a lack of a presence of that person. So sometimes we have a hard time understanding the faithfulness of God with his presence, particularly because we don't fully experience it with other people. You might have tastes of it with your spouse, with your parents. But what the text is telling us today, that while we have people in our life that will ultimately leave, we have a God who never will. We serve a God who will never leave us or forsake us because he is true to his covenant. And the promise is, I will forever be with you. God is faithful to his promises to you and me. Remember, God is faithful to the promise of presence with his people. Let us pray together. Father, we thank you uh, that despite our many shortcomings, our disobedience, our running away from you, that you are consistently uh, with us, that your presence is with us each and every day. Father, we know that it comes undeserving, but you sent your son to take our part of the covenant and fulfill it, that we may live with you. Father, as we come to this, your table here, we do pray that we would have humble hearts, realizing that we are disobedient constantly. We come to the table now, not on our own merit, but on the merit of your son, Jesus Christ, fulfilling the covenant for us. Father, we thank you for your word. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.